Welcome to the Resourceful HDR podcast. I'm Sally Purcell, and in this podcast, I explore high degree research, HDR, career and employment experiences, how individuals have made career decisions, navigated transitions, and helped others to build a career. In Australia, HDR usually includes Master of Research, PhDs, and professional doctorates. I hope you enjoy this podcast. My guest today on the Resourceful HDR podcast is Dr. Catherine Farga. Catherine is an Augie award-winning scriptwriter, leader, and creative, focused on combining story worlds and characters with interactivity. Catherine is passionate about harnessing the power of storytelling to deliver educational content, including STEM, English, and more, through innovative methodologies and interactive media. Catherine founded Dr. Egg Adventures in February 2012. The Dr. Egg Adventures Laboratory creates engaging education technology, edutech, products and content to solve problems faced by primary school teachers and educators in STEM and AI-driven futures. Working with teachers, students and their parents to engage in science and STEM learning to assist the teachers who struggle to teach in areas of science, digital technology and machine-based learning. This is how the Dr. Egg Adventures came to exist. Catherine works closely with advisory board members and the Macquarie University Incubator to reinvent the world of the Dr. Egg Adventures brand and business into what it is today. Catherine and I had some issues recording this podcast, so we came up with a clever idea of opening Audacity and for me to hold my phone up to the computer and record it. So we apologise for any sound issues that has caused, but we're pretty impressed with ourselves that we came up with a solution. Thanks for joining me, Catherine. Hi, Sally. So you've had such an interesting career. You chose to study law at university. Could you tell me how you ended up pursuing a career in the arts? Yes, a lot of people do say it's a funny place to have ended up. And yet if you have a look, especially at some of the performers and writers in, for instance, television and theatre, probably more television, a lot of them have come from law backgrounds. I think... Law is a very language-based field and even though, interestingly, I did almost, I did a lot of science subjects at high school because that was really the advice you got back then in an academic sense to get a good academic mark was to take the science subjects and I did physics, chemistry, maths and I did English and French but I think really I had a propensity for sort of language and also I enjoyed performing and I did a lot of performing in my uni undergraduate period, both music and a lot of law school reviews and then student theatre. But about halfway through, I think I sort of discovered that my main skills in some ways were kind of communicating ideas in humorous ways more creatively than in the sort of detail of the law and yet the law degree has had a huge influence on me in that I'm a you know very passionate researcher I love language and I am a good decipherer of documents and I've been quite successful at getting grants for my uh, creative work and interestingly I now have some law interns working for my Dr Egg Adventures business and I really noticed their skills in language and how much how much they bring to their work just by being really adept at using language in a whole lot of different contexts from communicating in emails to being able to quickly research and put documents together. Yeah, so I still 
have law kind of skills in my skill set along with my interest in, in the arts. And I suppose one other thing I was going to say was that I, I did leave uni at a time when it was the recession that we had to have, Paul Keating's recession, and then I actually did get a job in a theatre company in Sydney and I thought I would give it, you know, five years of working in the arts. So I didn't get any law jobs that I applied for, but I did get a theatre job and I thought I'll give it five to ten years and see if I'm making a living and then, you know, see what I do. And I did make a very good living in the arts for ten years and that was under the sort of Labor governments, I guess, of Hawke and Keating. And then things sort of did turn quite badly for the arts after Howard got in and it was then a little bit more of a struggle in the arts. Not completely. I still had a, an arts practice, but I started to need a few different strings to my to my bow at that stage. Anyway, that's it in a nutshell. I just spoke to a friend of mine. She's in her fourth year of a law degree and we were talking about her creativity and I was saying, well, yeah. law, law has, has a aspect of creativity really doesn't it it's about being able to see things from many different perspectives with the facts behind you yes and it's in terms of being a playwright which is what I did for many years and still do as scriptwriter I think turning issues into something creative is something that lawyers have to do every day when they develop a case based on facts and I think storytelling is a big part of the law and the, the legal subject that I enjoyed used to be things like you know property law where there'd be these ancient cases of I don't know easements in you know 14th century England or something I thought really I was much more interested in the, the sort of storytelling and the philosophy parts of the law degree than I was in the actual nitty-gritty of statutes and enjoyed the, reading the judgments and I think that definitely probably influenced me more as a storyteller than as a lawyer. Mm, it's fascinating. So who have been the major influences, speaking of influences, in relation to your career decisions? And can you also talk about how luck and serendipity have played a part? I would say in recent years it's been very much luck and serendipity. I think early study decisions I think were just influenced by what my peers were doing and what we had access to. I don't think there was a lot of sort of examples of say women in STEM mm. even though I was my father and grandfather both engineers and scientists and my brother's a scientist but there wasn't I, I think possibly with the influence of women in STEM I might have gone into STEM but again I think I'm probably more of a, of a performer storyteller. Some career decisions I think early on were influenced by parental recommendations or peers. Later on I think probably for my post Grad. I did a grad dip of communications when I started to look more at writing for a career and even going into theatre, I think that was a little bit more allowing luck and possibly personal interest. I took a gap year from my law degree and went to the UK and went to the Edinburgh Festival and, and I also was living with a group of art students at that time down at Sussex Uni and I really started to go, oh, these, these are more sort of my people and I started to have collaborators and that sort of thing. I think working in cohorts of people at particular times would have influenced me in that I had opportunities through groups of friends and colleagues that were in the arts and music and, and playing in cabaret contexts and theatre early on in 
my 20s. I feel like I made a lot more choices in my postgraduate study and I teach undergraduates a lot now and I often say to them, just finish your degree, even if it's not exactly what you want to do, rather than drop out, finish it because later on as a postgrad you can really start to hone in on exactly what you want to do in a master's or in a PhD. So whereas a few friends of mine who did go into the arts but didn't finish their undergraduate arts degree, they don't have the ability to become, say, a teacher or to train as a teacher having finished an original degree. So I always think I'm glad in a way that I was uh, a dutiful enough daughter that I did finish my law degree. (laughs) I wasn't enough of a risk taker, but I have loved research as well. So I think that two areas of sort of research and creativity have gone together for me, which is probably leads into that question that you had sent me, which was how I came to the decision about the PhD. And I think I've always tried to continue my practice as a writer and performer. And, you know, there's always the paid work that you can get in in the arts, which is to teach other people. But I remember I was getting so much teaching or workshopping or facilitating work and didn't have enough time to do my own work. And I had been working part-time in the regular job so I could continue my own art practice. And then once I had a child, I thought, oh, gosh, this is really hard to do all three. To work, to have a child and to continue my writing is difficult. And so I thought at that stage, I think John Howard, his treasurer at the time, they were putting quite a lot of money into research, actually, surprisingly. I'm interested because now the unis are being decimated. Mm -hmm. But at that time... There was quite a lot of money going into research and I remember thinking I had a number of projects that definitely had the potential to become a research project. I'd had some Australia Council money to do a project called Motherload with two other performer writers who just had children. We did some amazing research around reproductive futures and we made possible projects and feasible fictions, I think it was called, and I started to create some really interesting biotech fables with that. We were working with geneticists and we started to look at, you know, DNA and how it linked to knitting patterns and all sorts of just kooky things that we were researching. But some of the kookier end of that, I thought, really, I'm never going to get this up in a commercial context, but I could get this up as a research project. And I took it to Wollongong University and... Well, I took it to a number of unis and Wollongong offered me a doctoral scholarship under a fantastic supervisor, Dr Melinda Bobus, who was also a dramatist as well as a novelist and radio. We crossed over in a lot of areas and she was an excellent researcher and teacher and a wonderful supervisor. I was so lucky. And as well, I ended up with a co-supervisor in the new media area. And that was just perfect because... I continued to develop those bioethical fables of which I got a national production on ABC Radio. But one went international, The Dr. Egg and the Man with No Ear. It was a play, was picked up. And this was a luck thing, I think, and serendipity, but it got picked up as a play and it was a short story of eight pages. I was invited to a masterclass at Terrapin Puppet Theatre and they were looking for writers and they wanted to train writers in how to write for visual theatre because it's a very specific skill set. And the director down there just loved this story about, you know, a man whose daughter wants to help. He loses his ear in a fight with a bull terrier and this daughter wants to grow him a new ear and it's a sort of a biotech fable and there's ethics in there and what have you. Anyway, we took that to the opera house 
we got money from the Opera House and and then the life of that play was born and it went to Chicago and it went throughout Canada. It had quite an exciting life trajectory and through Australia and Perth and Melbourne. So that was a commercial output. But then all of the hybrid explorations I did in my PhD where I worked with scientists, I wrote stories about scientists and the ethics around genetic testing and various things. That formed the whole basis of everything I've done since, really. So I've made multi-platform stories based on that original story world, based on those bioethical fables. And yes, that has grown and received funding now from a very big range of different areas, not just the arts. Also, just got funding from the New South Wales Treasury. Before that, the Department of Industry, City of Sydney. I don't think we've had the Science Festival, but I mean, Science Week. But, you know, a really big range of people have funded that multi-platform scientific story world and platform for STEM for kids. And now we've got a great partnership with the Macquarie Uni Department of Education and also, you know, various science teachers. So that's kind of all come out of my doctorate, interestingly. And you wouldn't say any of it was exactly a straight line. It's been very much about, you know, hybridity, agility, pivoting and changing and growing in directions where there have been opportunities and serendipity. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting though. I think like one of the question I had there, the next one was really was what did you learn through completing your PhD? But in many ways, what you brought to the PhD is quite unusual, I suppose, and it just shows the value of an arts education, a creative background, that experience of making your own opportunities and therefore being able to see things that can come out of something where others might just see it in a very linear way. Would you? say that, that that's what you brought to the PhD? I think so because I know that as a woman writer, certain opportunities were there for me and then other opportunities I did have to make happen and I, I did, did definitely have to become a producer of my own work and a lot of women writers are very amazing producers as well. In fact, almost all my female performer writing friends produce their own work as well because it may not get onto the main stage as always. And so, you know, they are amazing at creating opportunities and I'm sure novelists and painters are similar. But, yeah, because I had produced a lot of small-scale performances and then some of those got turned into radio, but if I hadn't produced that initial opportunity it would never have been a product that I could have then taken to ABC Radio, say. So I think definitely as an emerging artist and writer, I definitely produced my own work and I collaborated a lot in teams. And I think artists, I think a bit like scientists, actually do a lot of collaboration. So we definitely, it's quite different to that sort of professional expert. I mean, look, probably almost all professions do collaborate to some extent like an engineer works with architects and builders and there is a sort of interesting every different field does have intersections with other fields and I suppose creativity is just a unique one and I've been 35 years now in my arts practice and what's kind of interesting is that I've also had to transform as funding change like there was a lot of influence in 
art and working life funding early on and I made a lot of plays with unions and wrote plays for workers and worked in Indigenous communities in different places and then later into arts and hybridity with different fields like scientists started to emerge. And interestingly, I kind of moved towards that during my doctorate and it has translated really interestingly then into commercialization which I wouldn't have expected just the fact that the thing I've made now crosses into both education and now with the influence on digital technology we're now positioning ourselves as an edutech startup which is really not what I would have expected leading out of that doctorate. South by Southwest which as you know I went there that was a really interesting place to see what was possible in a country like America where there is quite a lot of startup capital. A lot more people were testing ideas that were very hybrid or they were trying different ways to make things happen. So rather than Australia where you have specific funding for science research or medical research or film straight out of Screen Australia or whatever, in America people really do get things up in very, very diverse ways, but hence people are extremely entrepreneurial and will really try things out. Okay, you want to launch a game, so create a big game jam event. You know, so I took this hybrid interactive platform, Dr. Egg Adventures, and people were like, oh, you've got so much content already, you know, put it on YouTube. They were really encouraging me to put it out there in ways that would slowly build commercially. And it was very different to the, I suppose, Australian attitude at the time, which was very, you know, computer says, no, there's one way to do this. You can only do it this way and that's the only way you'll get money. And interestingly, that thing of building audiences, creating content, which we've been able to do in the incubator hub, which definitely we've been able to incubate in there, that has been a model that I wouldn't probably have had the confidence to follow up if I hadn't gone to South by Southwest. I was given a grant by the Australia Council to go there, an interactive and immersive storytelling grant for for this multi-platform. I got a big grant to write both a hard copy book but also to explore this interactive storytelling. I got a major literature board grant for that. So that was really lucky and it was also... Going there to South by Southwest really, I think, was a very important influence then on the direction of Doctorate Adventures. I've looked at South by Southwest online and it always looks so exciting. And for those listeners who haven't heard of South by Southwest, it's also written as SXSW and it's conference and festivals which celebrate the convergence of the interactive film and music industries. It's all about creative and professional growth. And, you know, what you're saying is is it really is. And getting that completely different perspective is just gold, really, isn't it? It is. And I think there was a lot of serendipity there. I mean, it was was a very interesting place, Austin, Texas, because the rest of Texas is pretty, I suppose, known to be fairly, you know, right-wing. But Austin is is a bit like the New York of Texas. And also it has this interesting energy. It's both very creative, highly entrepreneurial, like it's one of the four sort of tech hubs, I think, with Seattle and I think Denver and... Silicon Valley. I think there might be one or two others now. It was kind of a startup hub, but it also had a kind of very amazing energy, if you want to call it that, 
similar to somewhere like Byron Bay. The sort of magic happened. Quite a lot of interesting things happened there in terms of where, you know, I ended up in the games section, whereas I'd gone to sort of look at science and art more. And in fact, I met all these amazing immersive storytellers, but who also crossed over into the game area. And that was a big influence then in how, in various directions that we took Dr. Egg Adventures. I was just saying to my son this morning, I was showing him your site and he loved all that stuff. He did graphic design. I was just saying to him, wouldn't you have loved this in primary school? It's just wonderful in that it's digital storytelling and they're immersed. That gamification that works so well with kids, really, with any of us. And did he did he agree or did he go, oh, it's old-fashioned, Mum? <laughs> no, no, he agreed. He, he thought it looked pretty cool. Yeah. So working in the art sector can be precarious at any time and you've talked about how it changes depending on governments as well. And academia is similar and, of course, it changes depending on governments. So both sectors are really suffering as a result of the pandemic. Could you talk about how you've managed to create employment and to cope with uncertainty in your career? Yeah, look, it's a tricky one. If you were to ask me now whether to go into the arts, I would say it's a tricky area to go into at the moment, as COVID has shown. Anything which is about, I suppose, you know, entertainment, bringing pleasure and those extra wonderful things that make life worth living. I believe every young person should have chances to perform and to play music and all of those things. And I think we need a healthy arts sector for that to happen. I really believe that the arts are highly transformative and I know that working in theatre was really transformative for me in so many ways and I value that very much but I think as I said there was quite a lot of government funding early on and so I did you know receive in various emerging grants and different grants over time. I think that teaching's under a bit of attack at the moment which is hard because I think for most artists teaching often becomes part of their practice because they both have a practice and they share their practice with younger people and also mentor younger people often. And I know recently Charlotte Woods has been talking to the government from the literature point of view that a lot of the areas that writers normally use, for instance, to keep their incomes up have all been decimated due to COVID. So, you know, book fairs for selling books, festivals for performances, music concerts, all of those have been decimated by COVID and then teaching opportunities at the same time have been hit very hard and not much help from the federal government in that area. So that's tricky. And you see how much the government sort of has to do with what is in favour or not. I think that I have needed to be able to pivot and adapt, as I said, and I think this is where both creativity and being skilled, being able to sort of, you know, look at different areas and research it, being able to shift from, say, creating work about workers and unionists and various different communities, then also to be able to move into working with scientists, working at universities. And now that it's tricky with universities, I'm working through the incubator with starting to take one product into a more commercial space. I mean, the emphasis on startups and agility and commercial entrepreneurship is very much what this government and the government for the last many decades now is really that innovation economy, I suppose. I've sort of gone from a more, I guess, a social impact initiatives that the Labor government was championing for a long time to innovation. Now, I think innovation and creativity actually work really well, and I think anyone who does a PhD 
has to be innovative in that you have to create original thought and so you are going to be addressing a gap and you are going to be creating new material and new knowledge. And so in that way, I think PhD candidates in whatever field are well positioned to adapt to the innovation economy. Look, who knows how COVID will affect that innovation narrative because things can't suddenly go global. But at the same time, people are having to very cleverly think about ways that they might shift their businesses or their ideas. And look, I think that any way you can build your skill set, whether it's by teaching as well, producing, trying things out, finding out which of your skills you can monetize. This is something I've talked a little bit about to people who are in more structured professions like, say, engineering or some areas of science. One thing about the arts and even law is that you end up with a specific set of skills. One of them is language. The other is research, creativity in terms of entrepreneurial ideas and then production and the ability to work in teams and collaborate. Anything that you can do to monetize those areas, like if you can develop a skill in a particular, say, media, that like for me, I sold teaching, but I sold editing. I sold publishing and I've worked in publications jobs, editing jobs, you know, grant writing. So that those key skills that they say are the big part of 21st century learning and job readiness, the most employable skills, creativity is up there in the top three. Problem solving, critical thinking, agility, pivoting in different circumstances, developing your own ability to lead if something you do does take off. That's something I'm having to do at the moment is really work on my leadership and management skills because suddenly I'm in the role of a CEO of a big idea. Well, it's not a big company yet, but it's an idea that is growing enough that I've got an employee. So those kinds of skills, that then becomes marketable. So seeing yourself as having a set of skills that are highly marketable and not underestimating the incredible skills that you do have as a result of your study, both undergraduate, then postgraduate, whether it's a master's or a PhD, you end up with a really big skill set. A PhD gives you a skill set way beyond your actual area of study and it gives you a platform of expertise from which many different things can be started as you know, I've been talking about with Dr. Egg Adventures, all of that arose out of my PhD and it's it's sustained my practice but also my income now for 10 years and I've become a specialist in gamification and transmedia and digital writing and all these things which have placed me in a good position to develop curriculums and be an expert in that field. Yeah, so I think it's not always as straightforward as you expect and probably much less straightforward in an area like the arts. My brother's a composer and he always used to say to me, oh, just keep doing what you're doing and what you're going to do will emerge out of that. And it's kind of true that if you just keep heading forward in the area that you're in, you'll find that the environment you're in might change. Funding might come, funding might go. In a weird way, I feel more resilient for having done a PhD and now with this creative set skill set and this innovation skill set, I feel reasonably resilient in the current circumstances, which has surprised me.
Mm. You know, I don't feel as devastated by COVID, say, as a lot of people. And I think that is probably because I've got this resilience that I have to adapt quickly, often, Mm. to circumstances, if that makes sense. No, it makes absolute sense. You said all the things I would like to say, so that's great. And (laughs) you you talked about these 21st century skills and you've nailed it. If anyone wants to look at the World Economic Forum, they're all listed there. And they are very PhD skills, but again, it's important that people recognize those as they go because often you know I, I work with lots of PhDs where they sort of just look at their discipline area and what they're doing now not what they've created or where they've struggled to find their path and have solved that problem and pivoted as you say and they've got all those skills as you mentioned but also one of the biggest ones that I think has become really obvious in COVID and you've demonstrated it over and over and over and they have in their PhD is adaptability because that's the one. Yeah. That is the one. If you can go, okay, well, what's government's in now? What are they doing? Okay, how do I still stay true to my values, what I really love doing, what I want to put out in the world, whilst actually also plugging into where it's heading at the moment? And that, you know, you've really illustrated that. Yeah, and it's funny because I even write about adaptation and cross-platform and, you know, conversations between fields and, I think if I hadn't had the confidence of developing that as part of a PhD, discovering that there's research around that, discovering that some of my hunches of experience, and it's really interesting to talk about this. I don't think I've ever talked about this except in sort of maybe some academic papers, that thing of experimenting with, I wonder if this would work to combine a morality tale with an actual real piece of science that's going on at the moment. Mm. I don't know, Monsanto seed genetic modification or something try it out in a phd discover that it's actually amazingly adaptable and hybrid a fable and then discover that people are really interested in the story that (laughs) gave us fifty thousand dollars at the opera house to develop it into a play like who would have thought that that experiment which was just a creative idea would lead to working with 20 interns a year and having an employee and and creating a partnership with Macquarie Uni School of Education and now talking to really exciting digital education platforms who are very impressed by the depth of our concept and that there's not a lot of stuff out there like this and it has definitely would not exist. It just wouldn't exist without that PhD. In my case, it was a Doctorate of Creative Arts. It was a research doctorate and it, it was deemed a PhD equivalent because it was a 80,000-word thesis and an 80,000-word creative work, so it was the same as a PhD from an ARC point of view. Yeah, so it's really great to have your questions because it, it makes me reflect and I think that adaptability, some people would kind of go, oh, my God, artists are like they'll you know, manage to scrape together something in anything. But at the same time, I think Australia's a kind of, you know, innovative place and I think it is that adaptability, you know, taking ideas from elsewhere and seeing, you know, how do they fit in the current picture and the current circumstances and the current landscape. And recognise the landscape's going to constantly change and this is the difficulty when people just say, this is what I want to do. And you go, yeah, that's good, do that now, but, hey, it's going to change, so what will you do next? And I, I love your brother's advice through heading in a direction that you might find a different direction but if you stay in one spot and do the same thing over and over 
it's unlikely that some opportunity will just come to you. It's more like you're out there being active in the world, meeting people, talking to people, experimenting, discovering. That's, again, what you've done. So I think you're a great role model there. Oh, thank you. One thing I do remember when I finished my grad diploma in communications, I'd written this kid's film script and I was knocking on doors and knocking on doors trying to get this film script up. Nothing was happening, but other doors opened. And I think it is that thing that if you if you show your intention and you do take action, like you said, rather than get disheartened with rejection or whatever, nothing's ever really wasted. And a number of researchers have said this to me, even if you put in a grant and don't get it, that project will be there for when you do need to pull something out of a hat. Often you'll find a different direction by taking that action. And yeah, so different doors do open. If you take the action, yes, different possibilities emerge. They may be really different than what you expected, or they may just take a circuitous route. I think we pitched our Dr. Adventures laboratory portal back when actually Julia Gillard, she was the education minister, there was all this money for NBN. They asked the ABC to tender for interactive ed. We submitted a tender. It was way too early in our product development and also we didn't get that up then. But that's what we've ended up making with Macquarie Uni School of Education. So the idea was there. It wasn't the right time. So I think, as you said, luck and serendipity is a thing. The timing, having the right partners around you. Some things can take 10 years to get up and people did give me advice actually. I remember when I started as a playwright and they said, oh, it'll take 10 years for you to get your first main stage production. And it literally took 10 years. And similarly for novelists, you know, it will take often 10 years. You'll write, you'll put out short stories. The overnight success masterpiece is often 10 years in the making. And so that's the other thing is to trust that time that it will take. And I think it do have to believe in yourself to an extent and in the case of Dr Egg especially more than other things I've done I did get a lot of very good responses early on and I sort of trusted it was a direction I'd wanted to go in interactive spaces for kids and safe and creative and all sorts of things and once I identified that goal and it was to be of service more than just what I wanted to do it did get a lot of support and it has continued to get support. So I think also believing, trusting, doing a bit of writing or soul searching in what are your values, what do you have to offer that's quite unique to you and that actually is of service to other people can be a really useful thing to ask. So you're not just you know, trying to become famous for yourself, but you're actually thinking, what could I give? What have I got that's unique that I could give? Like for me, it was teaching and creativity and the ability to connect with groups of children or other communities. And that was my best skill set. And this has arisen out of that as well as the study. So I think knowing yourself, knowing what's valuable that you have to offer that other people don't have to offer, because everyone is extremely unique in their skill set and their character type and some people are introverts and some are extroverts and you've got to work with your strengths as well as the adaptability, I think. That's just perfect and it's a wonderful place to finish. I know you are a very busy yes. woman and I appreciate you yes, giving Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, it's so great to have this conversation actually and I, I really appreciated the questions. It made me think a lot about the benefits and I never have ever regretted doing my um, doctorate, never once. In fact, I think it consolidated so much for me. It gave me enormous confidence going forward, actually.
That's great to hear. As you said, nothing's ever wasted and it's good to have that sort of perspective. It bolsters you and helps you move forward rather than regretting. Yes, and that a doctorate gives you a unique platform, a unique skill set that you have or a unique knowledge that other people don't have. And I think that definite strength that you have in your own knowledge compared to what might have been a more peripatetic sort of approach to things where you'll try different things. It really, it shows discipline and it shows structure, but also you do come out with a unique set of ideas as well as skills. And I think that is only esteem building in my experience. You know, not saying it's not hard and there are very anxious moments, but in retrospect, it's a really great thing from which to build. Thank you so much, Sally, and all the best. You have just listened to an episode of the Resourceful HDR podcast about the career and employment experiences of high degree researchers, that is, Master of Research, PhD and Professional Doctorate candidates, graduates and others in the HDR ecosystem. You can also find me on Twitter as Resourceful HDR and on LinkedIn, Sally Purcell at Macquarie University. Macquarie University students and staff can also access the HDR Professional Development iLearn site. Thank you.